Welcome to Wild Women, hosted by Camille and Sarah. This is a podcast about mind, body, and pleasure, an honest talk on all things self-care. We discuss issues related to dating, fitness, beauty, mental health. We also discuss stuff about social issues, and we often have interviewees that come up and tell us a little bit about their businesses or their inspirations or motivations or just their journey through some type of recovery. For those of you who haven't listened to us before, this is our second season. Let's dive in. Hey, welcome to Wild Women. Today we're going to be talking about something that we have a lot of experience in and with, and that is, you know, coaching, psychotherapy, psychology, and basically the differences between all three of them and, you know, what like some people might use compared to what other people might need. So Camille, do you want to start us off? Sure. So Maybe let's start with the kind of definition between the different mental health care system in Canada. So basically, a lot of people don't understand that as a social worker, usually you need like a background in social work, either a BA or a master. And then if you want to become a therapist, then you need master in counseling or psychotherapy and then if you want to become a psychologist then you need a phd so that's around like five five to seven years of studies and you know training that's after your bachelor's oh yeah yeah and then if you want to become a psychiatrist well, then that's really more about the medical side of mental health. So all about medication, basically. And yeah. for that, you need a background in, in medicine and in mental health. Yeah. So most people who are psychiatrists do have their medical degree, and then they go back to get like a PhD in psychology as well. Personally, I've had, I've worked in my life with I saw a psychiatrist when I was I think 14 15 and since then I've been on meds for my mental health I've worked with a numbers of social workers and therapists since around that time as well so I know a little bit how the mental health system works what's important to know is I think that people have the misconception that it's easy to have access to those services the problem with that is if you don't have an insurance it's really hard to not a lot of people have 200 dollars to just spend like that on therapy and usually the people that need it are groups of people that are already oppressed that already have challenges in their life including financials and when it comes to intensive so intensive treatment we have the inpatient or we have the outpatient so basically is it like a full day of intensive program in the center or do you sleep there do you stay there and that can include hospitals that can include treatment centers all of those different kinds yeah so the difficulty basically is like Camille said a lot of people, they need to apply 
before like getting in to see a, a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist, a psychologist. And through the application, they will ask about insurance. And if you know you do have insurance, then great. It usually can cover a lot of it. Doesn't always cover all of it though. And then yeah, if you don't, then you're looking at hundreds of dollars a session. So yeah, it can definitely cause a lot of disparities. And there's a lot of people who like just can't afford it. And for that, like there are, you know, a lot of resources online. And sometimes, you know, there are people who will do like virtual support groups and stuff like that, which can be really helpful. But the reality of it is like someone who does need intensive treatment or intensive one-on-one -on -one work, they can't always get it. And there's not really like any way around it. It's not like the Canadian healthcare system also covers mental health issues, which is, you know, kind of ironic when you think about it, your mental health is just as important as your physical health. Why isn't there any type of universal um, mental health care system the way that Canada, we have our, you know, physical health care system that covers a lot of our like physical health needs. I guess that that's, you know, something that's kind of lacking in our healthcare system. So I also want to add some therapists have sliding scales, so it's worth asking, but not everywhere. And the other issue is that a lot of the time for low cost therapies, it's usually around like a year or two of waiting time. Yeah. And uh, Camille, just for some of our viewers, do you mind explaining what a sliding scale is? So it's the idea that you pay what you can afford. Yeah, that's great. But like you said, you know, a lot of the time there is a really long wait list for it. And then by the time people do get in, you know, it could be too late. Yeah. Speaking of wait times, I know for like eating disorder recovery, a lot of the time the inpatient centers are very, very busy. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they do, you know, an assessment of you, there is an application, you know, a psychologist has to refer you to that inpatient treatment. And yeah, there's a chance that you don't get into inpatient treatment, even if you think that you need to. Yeah, because sadly, they don't have the resources for the amount of people that need it. We like there's the hospitals and that's around like five to seven beds for that for eating disorders specifically. And then there is treatment centers, but there's maybe like three, four that I know of in Canada. If you think about it, that's not a lot. Yeah. And treatment centers are so expensive. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think anything can get covered if you decide to go to a treatment center, like through any type of insurance. And we're talking like thousands of dollars and in the states they have a lot more treatment centers but they're usually even more expensive right now the gap between american dollars and canadian dollars is quite a bit a canadian dollar is worth about a two-thirds of what uh, an american dollar is worth so you know if anyone from canada wanted to go to a treatment center in the states because none of the treatment centers are available here they're looking to pay about sixty thousand dollars American, which is getting real close to the $100,000 mark in Canadian dollars. So it's, it's really very expensive. And unfortunately, too, because there's not the resources to, you know, just accept anyone who's struggling really badly with an eating disorder. How do I put it? It accentuates the stereotype 
around eating disorders, how severe like certain types of eating disorders are. So like a lot of people who aren't, I guess, who don't know a whole lot about eating disorders, as soon as you say someone has an eating disorder, they think of someone who's really skinny, who always loses weight, obsessed with that exercise, like this, that, or the other. But that's, that's not always the case. You know, someone could have a really severe eating disorder and have a normal weight. These treatment centers, they're going to accept people who are in dire, I guess, physical health situations before, you know, like just the mental health aspect of it. So a lot of the time, the people who are in these eating disorder treatment centers are the ones who have lost a lot of weight, who are, you know, basically only anorexic. And like I said, that's, that's a little bit dangerous because it's basically telling anyone who has any other type of eating disorder that's, you know, quite serious, like binge eating disorder or orthorexia or bulimia. It's basically telling those people that they're not sick enough, which is something that those people really can't hear you know? Yeah. And one of the problem with the mental health system is that it relies solely on the DSM-5, which is the diagnostic manual of mental illnesses in America. And again, like those specific diagnostic have specific criterias for mental illnesses, including eating disorders. And that's one of sadly the criteria is in the diagnostic for eating disorder is the fact that you lose x amount of body weight yeah and there's like the other thing with mental health like inpatient centers and this isn't and i'm not talking about eating disorder treatment centers this time but i'm just talking like our general treatment centers for mental health is that they don't have the funding so a good example of what happened in my hometown of brockville we had a place called, we called it the site. And for years, they provided a home to people who had very severe mental health issues. And very recently, just in the last few years, they didn't have the funding to keep, to keep it going. And so all these people with severe mental health issues, you know, schizophrenia, just really bad depression or bad anxiety, paranoia, uh, PTSD, all these, you know, extremely severe mental health issues, so bad that these people can't really live on their own. They were basically kicked out of their mental health treatment center and like put into group homes. Yeah. Where they have no support. They have no one to like, you know, just help them, I guess, calm them down. No one really knows, you know, their mental health issues. No one really knows how to deal with it. And the reality of it is like, that's, it's dangerous. It's dangerous for those people and it's dangerous for everyone around them. And then what that does is it perpetuates, you know, stigmas around mental health and the people, I guess, that see these people struggling with these mental health issues, they, they lose compassion, you know, for those people, because like, they don't understand what these people are going through. And, you know, these people, they like the reality of it is their mental health issue is so severe that they can't, they don't really know how to function in society. So how like society views that is so stigmatized. Yeah. And that's sadly something that's quite common for mental health centers to not have, or even mental health charities to not have enough money and struggling to keep afloat and another thing too that I want to cover is the fact that 
first of all, like the police are not trained or even ambulances are not trained to work with people with severe mental illnesses. So oftentimes that can just escalate the situations. So I believe it would be so much better to have like a social worker or therapist on call, you know, for those kind of cases. And another thing too, is the fact that even if someone is really, really struggling and they need more support, if they are not in danger for themselves or for someone else at the second that they show up at the hospital, let's say, they will be turned away because we don't have enough beds for them. And then that's how like it continues the cycle of, you know, downward spiral. Exactly. And like, unfortunately, sometimes people who do have really bad mental health issues, if they're told that they're not sick enough, they're, there's almost like a competitive mindset that switches in their brain and they're like, well, excuse my language, but fuck, I'm going to make myself sick enough. And <laughs> in that moment, it's almost too late. And one perfect example of that is in the treatment center for addictions where I work, oftentimes the kids that show up are supposed to be sober, but sometimes obviously they relapse right before coming. And we're supposed to send them to detox centers because we're not a medical facility. We can't deal with overdoses or things like that. But oftentimes when we try to send them to detox centers, they're full. So it's, it's such a losing game and a dangerous one. Yeah. And it's awful. And Camille usually works with teens and young adults. Like these people, like they're young, like they have the opportunity to like be able to, you know, change their life and be changed forever because ultimately your brain is developing until you're about 25. So if you can catch, you know, addiction or like mental health issues, stuff like that at a really young, like at a younger age, then the better the chance, you know, these people will end up being healthy. So it's awful that these people show up at Camille's treatment center and they're not sober. And then, so they can't go in the treatment center, but then they can't go to detox because detox is full. So where does that leave them? It leaves them back on the streets. It leaves them back in their abusive foster home. It leaves them back in a shelter. Like it's not, uh, it's ideal. And that's one thing too, that with the mental health system, it doesn't, I've heard so many stories about how bad shelters are and no wonder that people would rather like spend the night on the street than go there. It's because it's hot zone for drugs. So they know that if they go to the shelter, the chances of relapsing are like 90% or more. And the problem with that is also it's a little bit unrelated, but we don't have any shelter for people that have pets, but that's another thing. Um, but we don't have enough shelters for like young people. We don't have enough shelters for people fleeing abuse relationship. You know, all of those things, we just don't have enough resources. Yeah, yeah. And like, even the few resources that we do, the people who work there, they're not paid enough. Like we had a really, we had a really good women's shelter in Rockville and they ended up going on strike and not accepting any more people and this, that, or the other. 
and like that place was a safe haven to so many women and, and it's sad and it's not that the workers don't want to be working at those places a lot of the time it's the union that steps in and it's like like you guys aren't getting paid enough you have to go on strike to get them to pay you more you know and there's no way around it there's just no way around it no and it it's sad because our services were continual during all of the pandemic but we weren't even recognized as essential workers yeah yeah no it's it's crazy so this is why coaching (laughs) exists basically it's not perfect but I think it's starting to try to be the gap in between obviously not the most severe cases but the gap to catch people from getting worse I would say that we talked a little bit about this in our intro episode like a long time ago but the big difference between coaching and therapy is that coaching focus more on actions on behaviors on results on the future and then therapies focus more on the past on your thoughts on the trauma yeah and a lot of coaches they do have you know their own modalities too the most popular one and I know we've talked about it before is neuro-linguistic programming and basically like through that what coaches do is they learn how you learn they learn how you communicate they learn how you hear people they learn about how you see the world and what's really cool about a lot of these coaching modalities is that they can it's really easy to customize them to each and every person you know, even shadow work, everyone will have, you know, different shadows of their personality or like archetype work. And I think that's one thing that is really good about coaching like that in therapy, you don't see so much, you know, like a lot of therapists use the same methods. And those methods are probably going to be about the same for everyone. Obviously, you know, the responses from it are going to be different. But there's not many ways to customize these methods to make it, you know, like the perfect method for that person. Whereas, you know, in coaching, they do have that ability to do that. Mm-hmm. And therapy is a process. So usually you're going to have between, I would say, like six to 10 meeting with your therapist. And it's really like a process of healing. And what they use is, has been like research, has been approved, has been credited by a peer in universities and all of that. So it's really research-based. While coaching is more of a new career path, I would say. And so you have so many different topics or flavors of coach, I would say. Yeah. And it gives the coaches a lot more freedom too, because it's, you don't get licensed to become a coach. You're not accredited to become a coach. You have that freedom to coach the way that you want. And you're able to use what you know works for you as a coach instead of what the government says, well, you're a therapist, you have to use these modalities because these are therapy modalities. You know what I mean? So yeah, a lot of coaches like that. And I even know a couple acquaintances through like uh, coaching seminars and stuff. And these people are psychotherapists. These people are psychologists. These people are medical doctors and they're coaches too. And the reason why is because they, they love the freedom that they have in coaching. They don't have to follow this, you know, step-by-step book. They don't have to, you know, force people to go through this type of testing. They can just, 
you know, do what they think is best for that person. Yeah. And I do want to say that it has a lot of benefits, but at the same time, it also has the flip side of, you know, if you are someone that's in a very vulnerable position and you don't make enough research on that coach, you don't know what you could be ending up with because a lot of them are not accredited. Some of them don't have any background in psychology or trauma-informed or all of that. It could, it could create more harm than good. But again, that's not for everyone. You just need to make your research and really make sure that you connect with that coach. Yeah. And I honestly, one of the like first things you should look for is the coach should always offer a 30 minute free consultation. That is like the first step into finding a good coach because a good coach won't just take anybody. A good coach almost like interviews the person first to make sure that the goals that that person wants to achieve is something that the coach can actually help them with. You know, like there could be a self-love coach, um, but this person needs help with relationships. Well, that self-love coach would probably say something like, look, like I can, I can help you. Like some of the stuff that we will do together might help you um, with your relationship, but I'm not specialized in relationships. So, you know, you might want to find someone else who does focus on that. Yeah. And what's really interesting right now is they're doing a lot more research on neuro-linguistic programming, which is, you know, something that a lot of coaches use. And they're doing a lot of research in relation to using it to heal trauma. And there's been some, like, really good results from it. So what's happening now is there are some coaches who, you know, are very well-trained in neuro-linguistic programming who are actually doing seminars for psychotherapists so that psychotherapists can use NLP in their practice as well so I think that's really cool that you know kind of the two fields are kind of coming together a little bit yeah that's amazing and another thing too is the fact that a lot of coaches have this holistic approach so therapy is really about like talk therapy but coaches have the freedom, like you said, to have different modalities. And that might include, you know, like bringing more spirituality into it. So Ricky, sound healing, inner child work, all those kind of things that you wouldn't normally see with your therapist. Yeah. Yeah. And I know a lot of coaches too are trained in hypnosis as well and sometimes like for some people especially people who have like really bad traumas or um, even phobias too sometimes the only way for them to get through it is through hypnosis so it's nice that a lot of coaches you know have you know that skill in their back pocket just in case they need it right and the other thing about coaching too is this stigma behind coaching compared to the stigma on psychotherapy or that kind of stuff. A lot of people, when it comes to seeing their psychologist or their psychotherapist, they're um, a little bit embarrassed by it. You know, there's this idea that when we go see a psychologist or when we go have to be on meds or something that, you know, makes us crazy when that's not really the fact, but that stigma still exists. But then when you think about coaching, um, a lot of people feel empowered about the fact that they have a coach. 
anyone who's ever achieved greatness in this world has had a coach at some point. So there's, you know, a much better connotation behind coaching and it's motivating to the person who sees the coach and it, uh, it helps with them being invested and committed to listening to the coach and actually doing what the coach is, you know, helping them do. Yeah. A coach is basically like a mentor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Now, one thing about coaching, though, is due to, you know, it, it not being regulated. There are some coaches who can charge a lot for their services. Yeah. And I, I think that's where, you know, a lot of people believe that coaching is a luxury and not so much therapy, which is too bad because I definitely think that everyone should see a coach at some point in their lives. But yeah, no, there's coaches who charge thousands of dollars for their services. But that being said, you know, there's a whole bunch of different types of coaching too. And if, you know, someone's a financial coach or career coach, um, and if they're really good at their job, then they're going to help you make a lot more than you're already making. So the fact that they are charging so much makes sense. But, you know, there's also the people who have been in, who have done psychotherapy for like six years and their trauma or PTSD hasn't healed yet. And they like their last ditch effort is to go see a coach. So when, you know, coaches are charging a lot and those people have been going to therapy through their insurance, then it's kind of, it's really hard for someone to go see a coach who's charging a couple thousand for their services. Yeah, because coaching is not covered by any insurances that I'm aware of. Yeah, no, until until people become licensed to be a coach or you know, it becomes recognized. Yeah, it's not going to be covered under any type any type of government benefit. And I think coaches do have a long way into becoming, you know, something that can get covered under insurance. And I say that just because anything that's covered under insurance, you go to university for, and there's nothing even remotely close to coaching in university that you can learn about. Now we mentioned that you don't need any type of background to become a coach. So like anybody can call themselves coach, but there is courses that exist. I want to give you a warning because I've made a lot of research in this and there is courses that are fake courses they're there just to make money out of you so make sure to if that is something that interests you to look for courses that have a lot of testimonials that have a lot of people that have been through it already that recommend it because it exists there is actually quite a lot of courses out there for coaches but you need to make sure that what you pay for you actually gain the skills for mm -hmm. yeah for sure i do want to say though that because it's not regulated well coaching is not regulated people are gonna put whatever they want for prices mm -hmm. and it's okay if you don't feel comfortable with paying that price. If you can afford it, it's okay to be like, no. Because another thing too with some coaches, I'm not talking about every coaches out there. Uh, there is good coaches that will just help you move through your blocks or your resistance or your, you know, scarcity mindset, which is totally fine. But some coaches will try to push it on you. Mm-hmm. So yeah. just like be aware of everything that is out there and look for the options that fits you best. 
money-wise, but also personality-wise. And that's another thing with therapy even, like if you don't feel comfortable with your therapist, it's okay to ask to see someone else. Because at the end of the day, this is your healing journey and you should be in charge of who you confide in and who you want to support you. And yeah, it's normal that at the beginning of any healing journey that you'll feel resistance, that you might try to even self-sabotage, who knows. And that's, I think, quite normal. But what's important is to push through that, push through those blocks and that's how you'll create magic so if you're interested in seeing a coach a lot of the people that we do have on as our guest speakers are coaches so feel free to listen to some of our other episodes about what these coaches focus in and we do have an episode coming up with a psychotherapist so you'll be able to hear a little bit more about what psychotherapy is really about and how it differs from just coaching well thank you for listening and we'll see you next time